Living Time by Dr. Morris Nichol, who I love devotedly, even though he is deceased back in the 50s. But I still love the man devotedly, and he lives on in his books, in my mind and heart, and hopefully in the minds and hearts of a lot of people who appreciate all that he gave, and he gave a lot. We find the attribute of unchangingness always associated with the highest level of conscious experience. The experiences of truth are always similar. That's true. The further you get into any religion, the more you find the similarities. If you just play around on the circumference of the wheel, it's all a big merry-go-round and a joke. But if you start to move into the center of it all, you'll find that there is an attribute of unchangingness. But unfortunately, to get to the center, you have to have one of the higher levels of experience and consciousness, or else you'll never get there. You'll spend all of your time worrying around on the wheel, the circumference of the wheel. There is the changing mind following time and change and the unchanging mind behind it. There is the order of natural reasoning that goes with changing phenomena, and another above it. For examining what caused me to admire the beauties of bodies, celestial or terrestrial, and what I used in judging things changeable, and in pronouncing this ought to be thus and this not. Examining, I say, what was the cause of my so judging, seeing I did so judge, I found the unchangeable and true eternity of truth above my changeable mind. And thus, by degrees, I passed from body to the soul, which perceives through the senses of the body, and thence to its inward faculty, to which the bodily senses communicate external things, and so far even beasts possess this. This is the imagination in the original sense of the word. The senses lead into a receptive image-forming organ, which we possess in common with the beasts. Beyond this is the reasoning faculty to which is referred for judgment whatsoever is received from the senses, and when this found itself in me also to be a changeable thing, it raised itself up in its own understanding and drew away my thoughts from the power of habit, withdrawing itself from those contradictory phantasms, that so it might discover what that light was, whereby it was bedewed, when, without any doubtfulness, it cried out that the unchangeable is to be preferred to the changeable. Whew. Man, I don't know who he's quoting yet, but whoever he's quoting is messing with my brain. These people write the longest sentences. You know, now we're so stupid. I mean, seriously, I don't mean to be offensive, but you can't talk about how stupid we are without being offensive to stupid people. And if you've got a lick of sense, you know that our entire culture is so dumbed down. You look at a sixth grade test. This is true. You look at a test to pass from sixth grade, to pass from sixth grade back in the 1800s in the United States. And most people today, most college graduates today, could not pass the test. Now, that's a fact. What can I say? That's just a sad fact. You read something like this, there were people, people understood this without any difficulty. Now, you have to go over it six times, you have to look up half the words, and then you have to scratch your head and go, what? And then you have to imagine that you understand it. That's the only way to get through it. Just imagine that you understand it. I'm sorry, but that's how it is. 
In these words, Augustine. Oh, okay, it's Augustine. No wonder. Augustine was a, a Mensa. Before they had the Mensa Society, Augustine was a Mensa. If you've ever read any of Augustine's City of God and all of his confessions and things like that, this guy could make you crazy. He was so intellectual and so intelligent that, you know, he was like the Mozart of intellect. And all you can say is, okay. I mean, I've read a lot of his books and have to read the books over and over again. I have to read passages over and over again. And then after I get it, I say, yeah, okay, so so what? Mainly because he's trying to prove things to people that I'm not one of the people. I'm already on his side. I already agree with what he's got to say. And so he doesn't have to prove anything to me. But to whomever he's trying to prove it, they don't read it. And if they do, they don't understand it. Sorry, Augustine. He's a saint now. He was just an annoying person when he was alive, but now he's a saint. In these words, Augustine describes the ladder of levels in man as known by him through his own experience, and the similarity between his description and that given by Plato is evident. Well, it may be evident to you, but it's not that evident to us, because his description is obscure to us, and Plato, well, he's obscure to us too, because... We're in 2014, and we have computers and Internet and iPhones and iPads and all this other stuff, then we don't need that stuff. We're smart because we can text and drive, and we can text and walk across the street and sometimes not get run over. And we can text and sleep on railroad tracks and sometimes not get run over by trains. I mean, people are doing this all day long. You read this in the news every day, almost, or, you know, once a month you read somebody was texting and got run over. Somebody was texting and ran over somebody. Somebody was texting and sleeping on the railroad tracks while they were texting and a train ran over them. Who sleeps on the railroad tracks? Get him out of the gene pool. And thank God he's out of the gene pool now. Am I on a rant? Is this a rant? Okay. Okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down now. In his philosophical system, Augustine took the spirit of man as a substance, different from body, and yet everywhere present in the body, manifesting itself through the organs of the body as different functions. The example he gives is through the cerebellum, according to him, as the power of voluntary movement. In itself, he regarded it as divided into seven degrees, that is, as a harmony or scale. This is the one thing that Pythagoras, Plato, they all come back to is this octave, this whole idea of the octave, the scale, the seven steps. And, of course, the Bible is full of seven days in a week and seven times 77 and all these different sevens. And if you were thinking about it, which, of course, most people don't, if you were thinking about it, you would think, well, that's very interesting. They use three and 40 and four and seven so often. I wonder if they mean something by that or if it's just arbitrarily that's the way it works out. And actually, the truth is they do mean something by that, but we're too stupid to figure it out. <laughs> the highest degrees transcended the natural reason. Regarded spiritually, man is nothing but will. Well, regarded spiritually, man doesn't exist then because we don't seem to have much will. But the quality of his will is different in these different degrees. As a creature of self-will, that is self-love, just in case you didn't know that self-love is self-will, you've heard me say a number of times, self-will run riot. So when self-will runs riot in your life and it ruins your life as it always does, it's because of self-love. You are gratifying your own self-love 
through self-will, self-lust, self-calming, self-talking, all the self-absorbed stuff that we do that destroys us. But we self-justify, so we never have to look at that. Only the poor people in our lives who are looking at the train wreck that our lives are have to look at it, like your sister. You look at her recent marriage and you go, can you not see the red flags? This isn't going to work out. This guy is an idiot, and you're a bigger idiot for marrying him. Now, of course, you wouldn't say that to your sister because, well, she's your sister. But I would say that to my brother, which is probably why my brothers and sisters don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> As a creature of self-will, that is self-love, he has no being, no real existence. How could you have any being or real existence if you're chasing every leaf that is blown by the wind. And that's what you're doing when you're gratifying self-love. But hey, don't listen to me. Go figure it out yourself. He is only the lowest level of himself. He has no center of gravity in himself, an idea which seems at first sight paradoxical. His truest being lies in the topmost degrees in the scale of spirit. And unless these degrees begin to open in him, we are told he is incapable of even doing good. The source of all truth lies in unchangeable truth. But in our world today, there is no absolute unchangeable truth. Everything is relative. Why? Because we're stupid. That's why. Stupid means slow to apprehend. And we are very slow to apprehend. Because we hardly ever apprehend. And if we do, it's only because we've been bludgeoned by life. And we have to either apprehend or die. So the source of all truth lies in unchangeable truth, which is above the level of reason, and it is the internal perception of this unchangeable truth that endows man with the highest grade of being. Unfortunately, we put no faith in this internal perception and all faith in external reasoning and logic, which is why I say we're stupid and why I say things have been dumbed down and we have devolved intellectually and obviously spiritually. This unchangeable truth is the divine logos, or ordered plan. And in identifying knowledge with the logos, or word, Augustine is in agreement with the Platonists, that is, the people who follow Plato. We must understand that the perception of this truth is an internal experience. Well, no wonder we're not having it. We are so on the circumference of life. We are so glued to the senses. We are so attracted by everything out there that we hardly have any internal perception. And when we do, it's because we had a bad pizza with bad anchovies on it, and we start to feel bad. And then we, oh, I feel bad. That's our internal perception, how we feel. Or she left me, or he left me, and so we feel bad. This is not the internal perception we're talking about. We're not talking about your emotions or how you feel inside. We're talking about a higher perception, being able to perceive something higher in yourself, not just negative emotions. It is not of the same nature as external truth, which comes from the direction of the senses, or when we reason about the outer nature of things. Some writers have said that all true knowledge must be born in man, and that he cannot have any real knowledge, even of nature, apart from this, because the natural reason can only trade in the outside surface of things, take measurements, weigh, etc., but cannot in this way reach the understanding of any person or thing. You may be the most knowledgeable person in the world about something, but that doesn't mean you know diddly about a human being or a thing. 
It just means you have collected a lot of knowledge and a lot of facts, and you may be able to spew them. I remember one time I knew this guy, Ernie. He's dead now. He was a musician, piano player. He was probably one of the greatest piano players I'd ever met. He was a studio musician, recording musician, studio musician. So he would get hired, and he'd go to this place, and they'd say, okay, play this, and he'd have to play it. No trials, no practice, no nothing. He'd have to play it. He could sight-read better than I can sight-read words. He could sight-read music. I asked him one time, can you play this? He said, I can play your laundry list. And he could. He could play your laundry list, and it wouldn't sound like Chinese music. I know, I know, I'm a terrible, horrible person, I'm a racist, and I'm an old fossil, and the world will be a much better place when I die, so go away. But Ernie was a Mensa, he was in the Mensa Society. Now, you know what the Mensa Society is? It's a society of supposed geniuses. Now, he said he was in the Mensa I said, wow, the Mensa Society? He says, he says, that doesn't mean a thing. He says, all it means is you know how to take tests. And I thought, I love this guy. And so I hired him to play for us in the church, and he was great. He was just great. He, he, his dandruff fell like snow from his hair, and his suits were always, he wore dark suits, and he was always this, you know, snow-capped shoulders. And the guy was like, yeah, he had hair like Albert Einstein, but the guy was just a genius. I mean, in the best sense of the word, he was ancient at the time. He must have been in his late 70s, early 80s. But man, could this guy play the piano. And what a heart, and what a soul, and what an intellect. And he didn't care. He said what he thought, and he told the truth. And if you didn't like it, then you could just go away. He just didn't care. He didn't need the money. He did it for something to do. And all I can say is I loved Ernie, and I still do. He's right up there on my list of really wonderful, unforgettable people that should go down in Reader's Digest as one of my most unforgettable characters. Sadly, I'll never write that. In other words, remember we were talking about people who couldn't understand a person or thing just because they had a lot of knowledge? Good. I'm glad you remembered after my rant. In other words, says he, in other words, the point of view is that there is an order of truth in us. And once born into the light of consciousness, it is its own proof. You know, I was reading something the other day that people were going like, Well, religion is just a bunch of fairy tales. The whole world will be better off without it. And just deal with reality, what's measurable and weighable and, and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, really? And you know that, that they're fairy tales. How? You can prove that? No. Well, I have no proof of that whatsoever. That's just what I believe. Oh, I see. So it's okay for you to believe something, but it's not okay for me to believe something. And it's okay for you to believe something that makes you a nitwit, but it's not okay for me to believe something that makes me a nitwit who knows I'm a nitwit, but who is trying to love people and trying to change my nitwitness. But when it is lost sight of, and we begin to reason and dispute about it, we enter a circle of irreconcilable contradictions. For the logical reason does not belong to that level which we are to connect with the internal perception of this unchanging truth. And this is why people do not, cannot, will not ever understand mystical teachings or esoteric teachings if they try to reason it out and if they have to have proof. If they're not willing to perceive it internally, if they're not willing to find their internal sense and use that, they'll never do it. They'll come out with irreconcilable contradictions all the time. This is why I don't argue with them. 
It's pointless. For this reason, the real truths behind religion and philosophy inevitably become matters of dispute. People argue about it constantly. I don't. Which lead to wars and persecutions. I'm not interested in wars, and I've been persecuted enough, and I hope I'm not persecuting anyone else anymore. For the natural logical reason, in mystical terminology, has no higher birth than the spirit of this world. It can only view things in a certain light, derived from sensible experience, and is turned outwards towards the phenomena of space and time. And psychologically, it is bound up with self-love, that is, with the feelings of I from which we derive the ordinary sense of our value. Unfortunately, religion is bound up with that same thing. People who are, well, I'm a Christian, well, I'm a this, well, I'm a that. Really, please sit down and shut up. Because if that's what you're talking about, I'm this or I'm that, you don't know what you're talking about. Because we aren't any of those things. You're not a Democrat, you're not a Republican, you're not your body, you're not any of that. You're a spiritual being living in a spiritual world and you're governed by spiritual laws and you don't know it. And that's why you are ascribing all of this identity to these other things. You may as well say, I'm my Corvette or I'm my Mustang, or I'm my house, or I'm my shoes, or I'm my whatever. Whatever it is that you're identified with at the moment. And all of that stuff is based on the senses, because that's where we get our sense of value from the things that we identify with that we perceive through the senses. Now, the Platonists regarded thought in its purest form as actual vision, the object of the vision being unchanging truth or the intelligible world the realm of meaning itself, the pure thought, which is not really thought as we understand it, lies above all the processes of reasoning and argument. And if he means thought, he says thought not the way we understand it, he meant thought back in the 50s when people could actually think. He doesn't mean the thinking that we do today, which is nothing more than a train wreck of one car bumping into another car, into another car, into another car. And the next thing you know, you end up down the road somewhere, down the track somewhere, and you never meant to start there, but you, but you imagine that you did. You imagine that you, you wanted to end up where you end up. Oh, look at that. It's serendipity. Look what I'm thinking about now. This pure thought, which is not really thought as we understand it, lies above all the processes of reasoning and argument. If there are no processes above reasoning and argument, then we're not going to get this. And that's the point. If for you there are no processes above reasoning and argument, then forget about it. Just go away. Flashes of it are said to transform momentarily the entire understanding. You have had these flashes. I know you have because you've meditated. And all of a sudden, you understand things that in five minutes you don't understand anymore. I was going to tell a great story about when I was in school and I did some THC. THC is the active ingredient of marijuana. And this girl gave me these big elephant tranquilizers. They were huge. It was hard to swallow. But I got two of them down because she said they were old. <laughs> and they probably wouldn't work so well. But I got two of them down. You're looking at me like I'm nuts. And I probably was back then, but I was like 25. So I took two of these things, and the next thing I knew... Reality was altered, meaning seriously altered. And I remember having these great thoughts. And so I got a notebook because I was in school and I had notebooks and pens and all that stuff right there in my room. So I got a notebook and I wrote down all of these genius things that I was seeing and understanding, these flashes of understanding. And then in the morning, I went and looked at it. 
It wasn't even English. <laughs> it wasn't even. It wasn't anything that it was. It wasn't, wasn't even hieroglyphics. It was nothing. It wasn't Arabic. It was nothing I could. I looked at that and I went. Oh, they were such great thoughts. I remember how great they were, but there was nothing there. So it's too good to put up paper. What I'm saying is, is that we have these flashes of it are said to transform momentarily the entire understanding, and drugs don't do that. Although I, I do recall one time doing a drug that enabled me to see the trees breathing. When I went and told other people, "Look, the trees are breathing," they said, "Of course they are, you idiot." They're alive. And I thought, now this guy doesn't get it. I mean, he really didn't get it. I was breathing with the trees, and the trees were breathing with me. There was no difference between me and trees and trees and me. But he got it on this other level, this level that we're talking about of reasoning. And I got it on this level of experience that was simply an experience and could not be, it could be talked about, but unless you had the experience, you didn't get what I was talking about. So now that you know that I used to do drugs, you can understand why I am the way I am, whatever that means. This is the transforming power latent in man, that is, a higher level of conscious experience. The later Platonist took the view that every contact with the intelligible world, or world of ideas, transformed the soul. I believe that because it is my experience which ultimately could reach the degree of comprehending the whole perfection of the intelligible universe. In this breadth of insight, we are told evil disappears merely because the true and necessary relation of everything is seen aright. You know, Gurdjieff said there is no such thing as evil, or something like that. Conscious. Conscious evil. And I believe that that is true. I believe that if you are ultimately conscious of the truth. And that's the only thing to be conscious of. Why would you want to be conscious of lies? Why would you want to be conscious of shadows or imagination or untruth? The only thing worth being conscious of, and people talk about consciousness, it's like, well, who cares? Consciousness of what? If it's not the consciousness of absolute truth, then what good is it? That is the ultimate aim for every human being. And if you have that, then Evil disappears merely because the true and necessary relation of everything is seen aright. Once you see things as they actually are, what is evil? There is none. It's when people don't see things as they actually are that they do wicked, evil, stupid things to themselves and to each other. I would call the reader's attention to the point that if we believe a higher level of consciousness is latent in man, any experience of its activity must act in a direction entirely different from what is usual. Does this make sense? Well, good. In following the evidence of the senses, we accept the sum of reality, more or less, as lying on the side of the senses. This is exactly what I was talking about. Some go, why don't people just leave all these fairy tales and this mystical crap alone and just deal with the reality that's here and now, what's real, what can be weighed, what can be measured, what can be seen, what can be tasted, what can be smelled, what can be heard. That's what's real. All the rest of it is not. So clearly we rely on the side of the senses. That there's anything else more real in its effect is not something that we can easily be convinced about. This guy wasn't going to be convinced about it at all. He was out there hammering wildly against somebody who had said something about the Bible. But in noetic experience, and you remember what noetic experience is? Noetic experience is the higher experience of direct experience. Okay, 
But if noetic experience is possible, it must come from another side, and so must involve a reversal in ordinary process. So if now we get all of our information from the senses, we need a reversal of that ordinary process. Here we are dealing with a question which does not belong to the order of time. And remember, we are living time. So this is about time because we are stuck in time. And we're stuck in time because we so rely on the senses and we're glued to all the changeableness that only happens in time. Outside of time, there is unchangingness. Inside of time, everything is changing. If we believe in the temporal progress of man, then we also believe that he will eventually discover all possible truth. From this point of view, one sees truth as something lying far ahead in time, towards which mankind is pressing, always moving toward that. Except we look at our history and we see that's not what's happening. We move toward it a little bit and then we fall back, and then we move toward it a little bit and then we fall further back. For example, when the library in Alexandria, Egypt was burned and all of the wisdom of the world that had been collected there was lost, we entered a very dark period, and we had to rediscover all that stuff that was lost because people couldn't build on what went before. It was all lost. Someday, we think, people will find out everything. Right. But if we put a higher level above all the changeable processes in man and connect with it a form of consciousness that gives us insight into truth beyond any given by the form of consciousness we ordinarily know, then truth is not something lying in time, in the future, but is something here, now, only above us, above our present consciousness, which is not in time. It's right here, right now, and all you have to do right here, right now, is change your consciousness, which will change your level of being, which will, if you change your consciousness and your level of being in the right direction, lift you up higher. If you change it in the wrong direction, it'll make you even dumber than you already are. And I know that's hard to believe. Well, wait, that's not hard to believe because most of you think you're pretty smart. I mean, I think I'm pretty smart. Are you going to lie and say you don't? I mean, if you don't think you're pretty smart, if you don't think you're smarter than most people, then why do you argue? And if you do argue, my question is, how can you think you're smart? If you argue, you can't change anybody else's mind. So how can you possibly think you're smart if you argue? And yet, we think we're smart, and we argue about the things we think we're smarter than other people about. Okay, now I've gone from preaching to meddling, so I'll back off a little bit. I don't want to make you too nervous. For some people, it is difficult to think except in terms of time. They cannot conceive orders of existence or degrees of understanding or levels of consciousness as forming part of some inherent structure of things always present. To think from this latter standpoint requires, I repeat, something of a reversal in our customary way of thinking. To this, I will return in a later chapter. Okay, well, Dr. Nickel, I'm not sure whether we should return in a later chapter at a later time or whether we should... Most of this whole recording now is just my ranting, and we have very little of what Dr. Nichols said, except that he did get me ranting. The fact is, we're going to stop here. We're not going to go anymore with Dr. Nichols. We'll pick up a little bit later. But what he's saying is, we're stuck. We are stuck like a fly in amber, or like a fossilized dinosaur. We're just stuck, and we don't know it, any more than the fossilized dinosaur knows it's dead and it's fossilized. 
We're stuck. We don't know it. And there's something above us. Gurdjieff used to say, you got to catch the rope that's right above you. At every moment, every moment in time, there is this rope dangling just above you. And if you will stop going backward and forward on the timeline and look up, you'll see there's something above you. Reach for that. And this is what meditation is. Meditation is reaching for that. Okay, meditation should be reaching for that. For probably the majority of people, it's not reaching for that at all. It's lowering their blood pressure. It's relaxing. It's unstressing. That's all great. Enjoy yourselves. But we're talking about something entirely different. We're talking about reaching a level of reality that is beyond anything that we currently know. We know about it, but we don't know it in an experiential way. Yet, most of you have tasted it. Even in flashes, you have tasted it. And that's why you're still with this. Because the truth is, who would read this stuff if you had no experience whatsoever? But there's something in you that says there is more. And something in you says, I know because I have found more. And I know because this is empty. I've been there, done that. This is empty. After you do it the 19th or 20th time, you start to get it. Okay, this is the same thing. Okay, Curtis doesn't, but other people do. Well, some people do. The point is, there is something else. And it's right here, right now. But it's not on this horizontal timeline that we live on. And in order to find it, you've got to withdraw your attention from this horizontal timeline. And through internal senses that we know very little about, that need to be developed, and the first one that needs to be developed is the ability to concentrate. That's the first internal sense that you need to develop. You need to develop the ability to concentrate your mind on something. Not something out there, but something in here. Even if it's just your breath or your heartbeat, or your pulse, whatever. Find something that you can concentrate on and sharpen and strengthen your concentration. After you've done that, then a whole world opens up, a whole internal world opens up to you, where you have the ability to actually spend time inside of yourself looking around. Now, who would do that when Scarlett Johansson is coming out with a new film that's really exciting? And who would do that when the World Cup is going on? And who would do that when, you see, what I'm saying is people are just glued to out there. And this is something entirely different. The supposed evolution of man, if it's attached to out there, it's not working. But the real evolution of man is an internal thing, a spiritual thing, a psychological thing. And that does work, but you're not going to really see the results of that because it only works for individuals. It doesn't work for towns or cities or even groups this small. This group is not going to have a group experience of altered consciousness. You may for a moment, but it's not going to last long. You have to follow it up individually, internally, by making effort. And that's the problem. E-F-F-O-R-T. Why are there so many F's in that word? I can tell you why. Because it's effing hard. And that's why people don't do it. I'll probably cut that part out. Ha, ha, ha.